0: I have been a Christian now for 47 years. Way back in my teens, when I committed my life to the Lord, there were certain expectations that were, were placed upon believers. One was that there would be a change in behavior. And one of the evidences of a changed life was that people would abstain from drinking alcohol. Now that was just a given as far as I was concerned within the church. It was something that I never ever questioned at all. I just accepted that if I was going to be a Christian, that's the way it was going to be, that that I, I wouldn't be drinking alcohol for the remainder of my life. Now, over the years, I've noticed among evangelicals in particular, there's been a change of attitude towards alcohol and social drinking, and is it not all right to have a glass of wine with a meal, and all of that. And as a consequence of that, the lines have become blurred, Now, this is a confession to you this evening. I said to Jordan, "Um, give me some questions that you would want answered, because the last time we were up here, we we ran for over an hour, and um, and so he's already given me the questions that, that he wants answered, and the reason why I asked Jordan to give me the questions is this. He's a millennial. Now, what does that mean? He's, he's been born in the techno age, all right? So he's more socially aware than, than I will ever be. But the thing about millennials is this, that they just don't accept stuff. They question stuff. You've got to give them a good reason why. You accept things or you say things. Why, why, why? And so I asked him if, if he would um, he would write the questions now there's a, there's a huge danger as we get started on this this evening, and the big danger is usually whenever the church starts to speak about alcohol, preachers line up with their horror stories, and i 've got loads of them i I remember standing in in court giving a criminal or a not a criminal. A, a character, <laughs> i giving a criminal a character reference, <laughs> because he had committed his life to Christ, but ran into a couple of hardships. And instead of turning to Jesus for the answer, he turned to the bottle. And he got himself into such a state that he committed another crime. And his pastor and I had to go and give a reference for him. And fortunately, this the sentence that he got that day was a suspended sentence. Now, I've got loads of stories that I could tell you. But I don't think that that is helpful. And I want this to be as as clear from the Nazarene church's position as possible this evening. So, Jordan, come on up and we'll get started.
1: Evening. Okay. So, first question on, on, on quite a big topic tonight is this, and this kind of hopefully lays a bit of a foundation um, of where we're going. First one is this. Um, do we have to abstain from alcohol to be saved? Do we have to abstain from alcohol to be saved? Right, now this is the other side of the argument.
0: All right, I've already given you my side, and I've got my horror stories. But whenever I hear a question like that, the way I hear it is, so if I take a glass of wine with a meal, I'm condemned to hell. That's what you're saying. Well, I want, I want you just to, to bear with me just a few minutes because um, I, I, I need to go to Scripture because there's, there's a, a, a beautiful part of Scripture in, in Matthew chapter 11 where, where Jesus just really highlights all of this problem. Oh gosh, I can't read that. Let me just get it here. <clears throat> it's too small for me to read at the back here. So Matthew 11, uh, it might be slightly different here in mine. But Jesus is, says, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. Don't put it on. Just let it sit there for a minute. Now, Jesus is saying that whenever you get two groups of people together—one who believe one thing and another who believes something else—they're like kids at playtime. One of them says. We're playing weddings today, so let's let's all be happy. And the other group says, No, we're not in a happy mood. So we're not gonna bother. And then they say, All right, well then we'll we'll have a wee funeral. And they say, No, we're not playing funerals either. And there's there's no pleasing either group. And that's what he's saying there. But then he goes on to say this. For John came neither eating nor drinking. That's John the Baptist. And they say he has a demon. We would, if we were if we were translating that today, we would say, John the Baptist came and he was neither eating the way everybody else had or drinking. He was a strange guy. John the what? He was a Nazarite. That's right. And that's completely different to Nazarene because the Nazarite vow was that no alcohol would ever pass his lips. Nothing Nothing of alcohol, right? So he was a Nazarite, okay? But then on the other side of the argument, you have verse 19. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by our deeds. All right? So, John doesn't drink alcohol, and people think he's a head case. Jesus comes and he takes a drink of wine, and they say he's a drunkard. So that that's where we're going to start this evening. <laughs> it doesn't really answer your question, but I'm going to get to your question, right? But it just shows you that there are two sides to every argument, at least. All right, are you with me?
1: Okay. Second question. Second question. All right. Okay, so <coughs> on the back of that, then, what is the Church of the Nazarene stance on alcohol? All
0: right. So it's it's fairly clear in the the manual you'll read you'll read this. Um. This is in paragraph 29.5 of the manual. In light of the Holy Scriptures and human experience concerning the ruinous consequences of the use of alcohol as a beverage, and in light of the findings of medical science regarding the detrimental effect of both alcohol and tobacco to the human body and mind, as a community of faith committed to the pursuit of a holy life, our position in practice is abstinence rather than moderation. All right? So, Church of the Nazarene, it's quite clear. Position there is abstinence from alcohol, not moderation. All right? So, in answer to your first question, is it all right for you to to take a drink and or and be saved, on one side of the argument, you'll have lots of denominations that will say, yes, that's possible. I would have to say it's possible as well on on the evidence that I'm gonna show you. But as a church, as a denomination, our stance is really clear. It's total abstinence.
1: All right? Okay. Okay. So every kind of denomination or independent church or group of churches, just don't take these kind of big decisions on key things in life just because they feel like taking it. Um, There's obviously been reasons behind this decision. So let's start with the historical reasons. Why, historically, has the Church of the Nazarene taken this kind of stance of abstinence? All right. Um,
0: Again, I hope you're going to bear with me on this one. Bring up the next slide. Um, Oh, there's another part of the manual that we've forgotten. Holy Scripture teaches that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. With uh, loving regard for ourselves and others, we call upon our people to total abstinence from all intoxicants. All right. So bring up the next slide, the next one. All right. So my perception—this is this is how I teach younger pastors. All right. My perception of the Church of the Nazarene is that that we sit on a three-legged stool. There are three things that are core to the Church of the Nazarene. One is holiness evangelism. Another is compassion. And the third one, education. Now, let me me just say that from our Wesleyan roots, that's um, from from John and Charles Wesley, right back there from our Wesleyan roots, um, we have this passion for evangelism. As you have seen today, in the uplifting of the, the World Evangelism Fund offering, as if you were here this morning and you saw what was happening in different parts of the world, we are engaged in 164 countries uh, trying to reach people for Jesus. But the other thing is that the Nazarene church has, has a norm of the church called Nazarene Compassionate Ministry. And compassionate ministry has always been there from the very foundation of the church. We went to the least, the last, and the lost. We, had, we wanted to make people's lives better. And so we went to places where nobody else would go. And if you read into the, the history of the church, you'll find that Nazarene churches started in strange places like empty shops, um, ground floor apartments. There was one even started not too far from here and a chicken hut. They went to places that were accessible to people. And many of the people who lived and the way that that we tend to talk about our history is that we went to the other side of the tracks, the railway lines, where the poor people were. And many of those people's lives were impoverished by the use of alcohol and drugs, etc. Now, the other, the other leg of the stool is education. And um, you, you heard this morning that we've got 51 universities and colleges around the world. And the reason for, for that is that, that there was a huge emphasis placed upon education and to try and help those that were one to Christ, that they would be further developed because many of them had no hope in this world. And so we, we set up colleges and universities and, and our people, when, when they were converted, the pastors were encouraged to send them to, to Nazarene colleges and universities so that, that we would have an influence as a people in the world um, but you bring that down a level to the local church and there was a great emphasis put upon education whenever I, I first came to, to this church um, John Payton asked me if I would teach an adult Sunday school class, now that's almost unheard of adults being in Sunday school uh, but the, the reason behind all of that was that that people needed to be grounded in the scripture, they needed to, to call upon Jesus, all the rest of it, all right? So, so from our history, I want to read a wee, um, a wee quote from Dan Boone, who is the, the president of um, Trevecca Nazarene University. He says, "'We believe it is part of our historic calling "'to stand with those who suffer the abusive consequences of alcohol.'" while also opposing a culture that glorifies its use to the detriment of many. So there are two aspects to that. So the first aspect is that we want to stand beside people whose lives have been ruined by alcohol. But the other side of it is that we want to stand up against it. Now, I. Ruth Ruth loves all these programs on TV, you know, like Location, 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 and Escape to the Country, and and all that kind of stuff. All right. It never ceases to amaze me how the subliminal messages come through, even programs like that, where individuals are told, This would be a great place to live because you're only two minutes' walk away from the pub. And I don't know how many programs have been made like that. And the subliminal message is, if you want to enjoy your life, you've got to live near a pub so you can call in and you can walk home. You don't even have to drive your car. The leaders of the Nazarene church decided that we would stand alongside those whose lives have been ruined by alcohol. And our stance would be, Total abstinence, um, I suppose the the rationale was these people 's lives have been ruined. Jesus Christ has come, and he 's given them new life. Now we don 't want the devil to ruin their lives again, so when they come to us, we choose to abstain from alcohol because everybody who comes through those doors will be safe. And they will know if they've had an alcohol problem that if they're with Nazarenes, they'll never be offered it.
1: And I think that's that sums up the history of the church. Yeah. Okay, so we have a kind of like a historical side of it in terms of the reasons of of why kind of Nazarenes who have gone before have taken those decisions and have kind of done that on the basis of, of protecting and, and, and wisdom. Um, but if we then kind of fast forward, what, 100, 120-odd 100, years? Almost 100. To where we are now in Carrickfergus, what is the reason why Nazarenes today still hold to that, you know, over a century later? Um, <clears throat> I, would, I would say that the reasons are exactly the same.
0: I, I I don't I don't see a change at all. Um, you've you've just moved into Carrick to live. And if you take a walk around the harbor area on a Saturday night, you will see young people from not only from the estates of Carrick Fergus but young people will will come by train from Whitehead, White Abbey, from as far away as Belfast, and there's a drink culture here in Carrickfergus, and it's ruining young people's lives. Now, it hasn't changed. It's always been like that. Even whenever I was a teenager, it was like that. And hand up confession time, I was a binge drinker before I got saved at the age of 17. I live for Saturday night.
1: It's interesting, isn't it, you know, in Scripture that there's nothing new under the sun and that the exact same problems the church faced 125 years ago are still the same problems it faces today. I remember when I was a a teen and uh, a lot of the the lads I would have played football with would have started kind of having a drink and stuff in some of the local bars, even though they were too young. And, uh, you know, you get that age and you start kind of, if, if you've grown up in church and you kind of start to test your parents a wee bit, and you ask some questions just to kind of see the response you'll get. And I kind of said to my mom, really lazy for it deliberately. And I said, uh, sure, what's sure if I go and have a drink or something? But I just I'll, I'll have one. I said, well, turn when I turn 18, I'm going to have one drink. And you know, I'll be, I just you know hang about with them and stuff and it'll be okay. And she says, okay then, Jordan, so what are you going to say when you're sharing about your faith? And they turn to you and say, sure, what's different between your life and mine? There was, there was no, dis, there'd be no discernible difference. And that for me really hit me quite hard in that actually in terms of our lifestyle, our lifestyle will speak for Jesus and it will speak one way or the other. It'll either speak consistency of holiness or it'll speak uh, hypocrisy, one of the two. So we have a choice. Do we live in a way that, that's open and honest when it comes to different things or are we gonna risk that kind of inconsistency in our living? Um, because everything that we do speaks in some shape or form.
0: So, yeah. Oh, you're all right. I was, I, as you're, you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking, thinking myself. Um, last month, I was in Lusty Beg. I, I, I conducted a, a wedding in Lusty Beg. Now, there are some members of the family who are Christians, some not. So they, they had wine for the toast and for the meal. And and if you if you think about it, I mean Mana, who knows me and Mana, Right? Nobody knows me in Fermanagh. So if, if I wanted to take a glass of wine with the mail, that was fine. And uh, I don't know if you, you know anything about Lusty Big, but there's a wee boat comes off the island and, and then you you have to drive on on a fairly straight road. So Ruth and I are coming fairly late it was, and, and we went into a police checkpoint. And the policeman, as soon as I put the window down, just stuck his head straight in <laughs> to the car. And he, and he said, are you coming from Lusty Beg, sir? And I said, yes, I am. I was conducting a wedding there today. And we had a wee conversation. He asked me where I was from and wished me all the best and all the rest of it. And as we were driving away, Ruth said, Crafty beggar. <laughs> Said he was, he was smelling for alcohol. <sighs> right? Now, let's suppose it, I did take a couple of glasses of wine. I wouldn't be sitting here tonight. Seriously. I would not be sitting here tonight. Because if, if I'd have been over the limit, I'd have been sacked. Now, one of the things that I wrote earlier on that I never mentioned was perception. You see, your perception of me is that I need to be above that. What's your perception of yourself?
1: All right, go ahead. Well, that's... (laughs) <laughs> I remember Phil Emerson, Phil, we, we were at a minister's uh, meeting a couple of weeks ago and uh, one of the speakers said this and I've heard him say it before but it was genuinely one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given, right? And it was this, um, stop being so hard on yourself mm. and then stop being so easy on yourself. And there's some things that maybe we need to give ourselves a wee bit of grace but then there's other things that we know fine rightly just like what we'll Pastor Philip was talking about there's some things that actually we we wouldn't expect others to be doing so why would we be doing it? And it's just it's, it's getting that tension of of our consistency of of our holiness. The next the next question is this and this is probably my, my favourite of a lot of them and it's it's like my favorite response kind of anytime you know this kind of and it is a big topic anytime this topic comes up this is this is my favorite response right and it's this and yes you touched on it earlier um, was if, if Jesus, if it was okay, I love even the phrasing of it, if it was okay for Jesus to have a drink, why can't we have a drink?
0: All right. You missed out a couple of questions. Sorry, but can, can we keep, 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 keep them in order because these guys upstairs have got stuff that I want to show them. It's, one of them is scripture. Is we, have you got any scripture to, to back that up? Go for it. All right. All right, now I've picked picked a couple of, of scriptures. One comes from Habakkuk 2, and it says, What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk? You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. Now this might seem a little bit obscure, but scripture is speaking here that whenever people take drink to access that sexual crime takes place. Now, another one, you can challenge me on that if you want, but, but have a Habakkuk too, the other one comes from Proverbs 20. Wine produces mockers, alcohol leads to brawls. Uh, those led astray by drink uh, cannot be wise. So there's another aspect from scripture that excess drinking of alcohol leads to brawls. When I was doing my research on this in a private private member's business session in the Northern Ireland Assembly, do you remember when that used to meet? <laughs> on the 16th of January, 2017, the following was recorded. The estimated cost incurred by the criminal justice system and the health service in Northern Ireland by alcohol is around 900 million pounds per year. 44% of all arrests made by the PSNI in a single year were as a result of the alcohol factor. 300 deaths were caused by drink in 2012. They didn't have any more recent up-to-date information. Two thirds of violence between strangers involved alcohol. One third of domestic violence occurred after drinking. 13% of threats to kill involved alcohol. And I asked myself this question, why would I want to support an industry that, that destroys people's lives? All right. Points of wisdom. Points of wisdom. Go. <laughs> There's a couple of things I want to say here. Um, There are people in this church who've been delivered from alcohol because they've given their lives to Jesus Christ. Um, I would not want to put any one of them in the position where they could relapse. Um, I would rather teach from Scripture that when life is tough, Jesus says, cast all your care upon me because I care for you. And I would rather that they turn to Jesus rather than say to them, when life gets tough, go down to the off-license and get yourself a bottle or something and forget about it for a wee while. I think Jesus Christ is the answer to lots of the problems that we face in life, and I would rather that they they turn to Jesus. Romans uh, fourteen, I think, is the the other verse of scripture. This is where the Church of the Nazarene hangs its hat. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable. But it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. And in verse 21, It is better not to eat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. And that's probably where we hang our hat. um, That we don't want people to relapse once they have come out of that culture. I asked a couple of the question this morning, if I could use this as an example this evening. Quite a number of years ago, um, Pastor Reeds, I think it was, led a, a membership class and the issue of alcohol come up in, in the class. And the couple sent for me and asked me to go to their home. I think, actually, they, they took me through the kitchen deliberately because when when I entered the house we went through the kitchen into the living room and I saw a wine rack in in the kitchen and I thought, oh I know I am here and and so we had this conversation and they told me that they collected fine wines and occasionally they would break open a bottle and they would have a, a glass of wine with a meal and um, we, we sat and we talked about Romans 20. And, and I left it with them. And I said to them, look, I, I'll leave it to you whether you, you make up your mind to join the church or not. And um, I was through, the kitchen there used to be my office. And I was through there on the Sunday morning and the individual come through. And this was the response had a party in our house last night and I thought gosh that's not what I really wanted to hear so we we poured all the alcohol down the sink and in this statement got me and still gets me we would rather be part of the church here and members of it than sacrifice that for a glass of wine and that's that's amazing and and i reckon it was hundreds of pounds worth of alcohol that went down the sink that night but that's where we are
1: all right, all right. okay well if we we're to skip back to to the previous question which was uh <laughs> uh if jesus had a drink Re- yeah yeah you yeah know, jesus had a can well why can't we all right well We've already
0: seen from Matthew 11 that Jesus said that he did drink. Now, again, in my research and all of this, there are some um, anti-alcohol theologians who will, will tell you that the alcohol content of the wine that Jesus drank was not the same as the alcohol content of the drink that's available today and all that kind of stuff. I think they're, they're just barking up the wrong tree with that. You could never ever prove that, never ever prove it. But the one thing that we do know about culture at the time of Jesus was that there were lots of parasites in the water. And so it was safer to have a glass of wine with a meal. Now, I, I know there are other other church groups and they say, oh, Jesus just took the fruit of the vine. It wasn't, wasn't alcohol that he had. But I, I think that you would be hard-pressed to push that one as well. You know, um, Paul writes to Timothy and, and he says to Timothy, look, son, that water's not doing you any good. It's better to take a wee drop of wine for your stomach's sake. Take wine as a medicinal beverage. You know, we we gotta we gotta hold all that in balance. I think the big difference is that Jesus didn't live in a culture where young people were travelling into the big city on a Saturday night and getting blitzed and lying around Jerusalem. We are. And and I think we got to stand for something because if we don't stand for something, we'll
1: fall for anything. Yeah. Right. yeah. I grew up in that one actually. That phrase. What? I grew up in that phrase. Oh, did you? Don't <laughs> stand for if you don't stand for uh, something, just <laughs> you'll fall for everything. Uh, okay. I mean, let, me, let me just say, there's there's something here that I I
0: really, um. Yeah. All right. So so the that that would be the culture that we're now living in. But the, the other response I think that I, I want to make to that is that there are always people within the church that want to push the boundaries. I I discovered that when I was a district superintendent. I had pastors who come to me and they, they, they wanted to push the boundaries on on certain things. I would chair district assemblies and pastors would try to change the rules even of how, how they voted people into position and I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't let it happen. But, but there are people who want to, to push the boundaries and, and it would be wrong of me to say that the Church of the Nazarene has not been challenged on its stance on alcohol over the last number of general assemblies because there are certain districts that keep coming back with a resolution to change our position of abstinence to moderation. Now, up until this moment, it has not been acceptable. It hasn't passed, and uh, it's been kicked out. But I don't know how long that will last. I I really don't know how long that will last. I just pray that it will um, for the sake of those whose lives have been ruined by alcohol. But the other thing that I, I wanted to say was that I couldn't say that all members of the Church of the Nazarene worldwide are teetotal. T I couldn't put my hand on my heart and tell you that because I know for a fact that they're not. But there's an integrity issue there. And, and I think that the individuals that I told you about who joined this church... Are people of integrity? Now, there's nothing to stop individuals coming to the church, but if you're going to be a member of the church, I think I think you need to be teetotal. But I couldn't put my hand on my heart and say that that's the case worldwide.
1: Yeah. 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 But it was it was like a the, the story you just shared there was <coughs> it's it's about value. What's 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 worth it? And of, of the individual who who poured the who poured the drink down the sink, it was that I say no. Being a part of God's house all in is, is more important to me than, than, than anything else. And so it's, it really comes to that idea of value, doesn't it? In terms of, I say, do you know what people have got? They come first. Okay. Uh, next question is, there was, there was two that were very, very similar, so I'll merge them. Um, and it was this. So if you are uh, one of few or maybe the only Christian in your home, uh, in your family, in your school, workplace, university, wherever you do life. And drink is a huge culture. It's a huge part of living. The school I went to, drink, the football club I played for, drink was all a big part of kind of just, you know, life. It was a big part of socializing. Um, and if you're the standalone believer, if you're the, the, the or one of the few Christians, have you got any advice or any points of wisdom um, to say, okay, this, this is some things that you can do um, in that situation? yeah. Um,
0: well, I was raised in a home where alcohol was was always present, and I saw the abuse of it. Um, I was the only Christian in the home when i at seventeen, I gave my life to Christ. Actually, I would have to say before I was seventeen, there was nothing I liked more than my mom and dad to have a party in the house because people never, ever drink everything that's in the glass, and I would do the dishes. And, and I could, I, that's, that's how I got introduced to it when I was a kid. So, um, But, but I, I, I still remember the night that I told my, my dad that I had given my life to Christ, and he told me that, that I was the biggest disappointment in his life. Um, because he was just looking forward to my 18th birthday so that he could take me to the Royal Oak and and we would share a drink together. Now, I went with him and I had an orange and he was really embarrassed because all his mates were there and I, I was drinking a Fanta and, and and he was he was having a, a pint of Guinness. And um, <clears throat> when we got back home, my mom said to him, don't you ever do that again. Don't you ever take him to that place again. And my mom wasn't a Christian at that time. Hmm. What would I say? I played in sports teams right up until I was in my mid-30s. And everybody on the team knew that I was a Christian. Everybody in the team Knew that that I would not take alcohol. And and I've discovered this. you see, if you take your stand and you stand up for Jesus, some of those people respect you. And and I and I have been with guys, and and they've said, "Look, we're going ahead here for a paint. We'll see you next week." And that was it. There was there was never any bother, you know. And, and I I think that our young people you're you're really under pressure yeah. really really under pressure but if you if you take your stand and nail your colors to the mass i think god will help you he will strengthen you he will give you his holy spirit to help you to stand up and be strong for him yeah so I, I, my my advice would would be uh, just just pray for your family i I had the joy of seeing my mom and dad both come to faith in Christ. Yeah. So my dad pour stuff, pour alcohol out and get rid of everything that was in the house. He never touched it again. Always went to my sister's for his Christmas dinner after, after mom died. And their house has alcohol in it. But they knew not to ask him to take one. Even though he would say, that he was an alcoholic, they knew not to give him one.
1: So, yeah, and even, even by not taking, um, no matter what age or stage of life you're at, um, can speak huge volumes to the people that you're with because you're living differently. we've been like we were talking about earlier, uh, we at the end of our, at the end of the year we we had a football dinner, mm. a, food, a, a team dinner, um, and uh, in Banbridge. What happened was we went back to one of the the lads' houses. Um, just for a bit after, and eventually they were heading on to a nightclub, and I was I was heading home after that, or before that, sorry. Uh, <laughs> whoops. Uh, before that. But in this lad's house, I remember really distinctly, the lads had had a couple of drinks in and stuff, and uh, one of my friends, who I'd actually near enough grown up with at this stage, um, and by this stage, I had actually lost quite a lot of friends. I'd lost touch with a lot of guys because of the drink thing and because of the nightclub thing and because at 15, 16, I made a conscious decision which wasn't easy that I wasn't going to go down that path and that I was going to plant myself in God's house. And why I would not advocate breaking off relationships completely with people because they live differently from you, that's where I went wrong actually. Um, I did lose some friendships and I did lose some relationships because of the lifestyle choices I made. But um, I always thought they'd fall out with me over it. But what happened was, as some of the lads were being offered drink in the house that night, I obviously didn't take. And they said, Jordan, you—you know, take you, a Christian. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the lads I grew up with, who I lost touch with because of the drink thing, put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, no, you see, you have to understand, Jordan chose one path and we chose the other. I never thought that's what they thought of me. And even though, it was a bit like what Pastor Philip was saying, even though we may sometimes have to take the difficult decisions to live for Jesus, others will take notice. Mm -hmm. May take a couple of drinks in them before they'll admit it to you, but they will take notice. They will take notice. Um, And like Pastor Philip said, the Holy Spirit will fill you with his power to live for him. Last question is this. um, If there's somebody in the room tonight, and this is resonating um, quite a lot and maybe there's an issue with, with alcohol or there's a past um, with alcohol, what would you say to them? You know, what's the next step?
0: I think the uh, the first step is, is to talk about it. I um, need to say this very, very clearly. Um, talk about it With somebody that that you know is a Christian and somebody that you trust. Um, The worst thing you can possibly do, and this is true of of any sin that anybody commits, is keep it secret. Because if you do something in in secret and nobody else knows about it, you think that that it's it's all right, but deep down inside, it, it burns away at you. and it, it almost destroys you from the inside out. So I would I would say talk about it to somebody that you really, really trust. Um, the second thing is that if it's if it if it really is a major, major issue with you. Um, we have contacts with the Starrus Foundation, which is a Christian organization um, that that helps people overcome Addiction problems, and uh, we could we could refer you to uh, to the Stars Foundation. Um, but I think the first step would be get, get a good friend that you can trust, somebody that you can you can pick up the phone any time of the day and say, "Look, I need you to pray for me now. Pray with me over the phone because I'm really being tempted here, and." I don't want to get down this road. All right, all right. The pool of alcohol is, is huge. It's, it's absolutely huge whenever it becomes addictive. And in closing, I want to say this, and it's probably been biased, but I want to say this. I can't, I can't put my hand up and say that Jesus didn't drink alcohol. I think he did. I think that the reason why he drank alcohol was because the water was contaminated and so he he took wine with, with meals. But he didn't live in the culture that we live in that is totally dominated by talk about alcohol and pubs And nightclubs. And I don't want to be the cause of anybody. Going down a road of addiction. I would rather point them to Jesus. And the other thing is. If I'm going to be proactive in this. I don't want to give a pound of my money. To an industry that's destroying homes. I would rather give the pound to a child
1: that's hungry than buy a bottle of wine. Can I ask you a question? Have you been enjoying these sessions so far? Yeah, Yeah, okay. So we called it short talks, short-ish talks on hot (laughs) topics, right? We've Um, done all right. But we said this last time, um, and we're going to say it again tonight, and we really mean this from our heart. (coughs) These talks are, are, are big issues, but they are never ever meant to feel, make anybody feel going out that door that they're condemned. No. Or made the, make anybody feel guilty. Can I just say this to the room tonight, to every single person sitting here, please listen very carefully. You belong here. Mm. You belong here. And please never feel that no matter how these kind of talks are received, that you don't belong because you do. You belong here. And if you have questions about any of these talks, any of them, we 're going to leave some notepad or some uh, sticky notes or some bits of paper in the foyer there at the end. Please write down a question, keep it anonymous, but put down a question, and eventually we'll work out a way to, to, to answer those questions. So please don't, please don't feel that all these questions and all these things are things that you 're thinking or stuff that we haven 't touched on in a topic. Don't let it kind of sit there. Ask the question. Just ask the question. It's the best thing you can do. Um, and we'll, we'll we'll process that. We'll talk to it. So one, you belong. Two, just ask questions. If if you haven't understood something or want to know something else, just ask the question. We'll pray.
0: Yeah. Let me let me just say one more thing. Um, he and he sparked it off with the the belonging thing. I I have taught this. To, to younger pastors and and this is this is how I view ministry. For years the evangelical church has spent a fortune on evangelism and everything, getting people to believe. And then when we get individuals to believe, we teach them how to behave so that they look like us, might not dress like us, (laughs) but they look like us. They behave like us. And then we say to them, now that you believe like us and behave like us, you can belong to us. And I think that that is upside down. And I believe with all my heart that what people are looking for, and I think what God offers to everybody, is a place to belong, yeah. and you belong here. Yeah, No matter what, you belong here. Yeah. And it's not my job to make you believe something, that's the Holy Spirit's job. And when you belong somewhere, And the Holy Spirit is present. He will help you to believe. But more than that. He'll help you to behave. And he'll show you how to live. I think we spend a lot of time. Trying to do the work that the Holy Spirit does. And we don't do him any favors. But if we can create a culture in the church where everybody is welcome, no matter where they come from, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've become, everybody's welcome here. The Holy Spirit has an opportunity to transform their lives completely.
1: You can pray. Privilege. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom. And we thank you, God, that what you say is true. I thank you, God, that what you say helps us to live in between the lines, in safety, in prosperity, a place, God, where we can flourish. Father, I pray tonight we would be obedient to your word, that, God, we would take it to our hearts and apply it to our lives, that, Father, we would live with wisdom in mind when it comes to these issues. And Father, even just now, Lord, I pray for a sense of grace to come upon this room, Yes. Jesus. for a sense of grace to come upon our hearts, God, yes. that Holy Spirit, we would know your power and your authority to live for you. Father God, I pray for chains in these rooms, that God, they would come off in Jesus' name. Father God, I pray for these things that are in our hearts, God, that nobody else knows about. Father God, I pray that you would bring that to the surface so that you can remove it and God, you can heal us from the things we need healed by. Father God, we just don't believe in talk. Father God, we believe that you act also. And Father, tonight we invite you to do that. Father, come amongst us, God, and move in us that we may look more like Jesus. That we would live holy lives and effective lives for you. And the church said, Amen.
0: Amen. Praise Band are going to come and lead.